hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our job. Jimmy Clark. doesn't love crappy 80s rock to start off a good time. Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Tonight we have assembled quite a crew. It's a crew you've heard before, but it's so good we had to do it again. And I hope we do it again and again. And again, I'm, I'm insatiable, gentlemen. We have Seth Spotlow and his dad. What's going on? How are you gentlemen doing? Thanks for coming, Dad. Yeah, you're welcome, son. No, he was just telling me off air, the longer, Eric, you wear that mustache, seems the older you get. Yeah. Look how many grays are up there. How many gray? Well, I think that looks distinguished. I didn't say it looked bad. I just said it's more noticeable. I actually saw a, a hair product advertised on some social media feed. It's like a paste. That you put in your hair and it makes it look like Silver Fox. No. Yeah, uh, you know, I was thinking with these long blocks before I cut them off, I should yeah. just make the whole thing like straight silver. Yeah. Like I'm a sorcerer, but very young and handsome <laughs> and rugged. You're like Rogue's brother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to avoid the uh, day's news and we won't touch on it long. Um... The idea that there's some objective standard in politics is, uh, it's adorable. <laughs> it is adorable. <laughs> I said this earlier today, but the idea that biased people with their own agendas trying to win power are going to be the arbiters of what is actually true is just hilarious. The closest thing we do have, though, to something objective, and even this isn't all that clear and objective, is the rule of law, is the law itself. And, uh... I guess that's what we're arguing over. Obstruction of justice on behalf of the president. I don't understand the gripe over uh, over uh, Attorney General Barr, the Honorable William P. Barr. And by the way, there is a senator. This is in the frivolous category, gentlemen. So it's not Bill Burr? No, it's not Bill Burr. Okay. No, he's a great comedian, though. I was like, hey, good taste, man. No, and there's a Richard Burr from North Carolina, I believe. But, no, there's a senator that I've heard his name before. He's a senator from Idaho. He's a Republican. And I'm watching the hearing of Attorney General Barr in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And this guy, whose name I've heard before but never read, really, is on the Senate Committee. And they, in front of them, they have all the little little placards, like their names. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even say Senator. It says Mr. Like, Mr. Graham. Yes, I'm Lindsey Graham. I have my gavel. <laughs> H-O-N means honorable. Right? right. Yes. Okay. Yes. It doesn't mean anything else. Okay. Just checking. Yeah. So, but this guy whose name I've only heard but never read, his placard's in front of him, and he's questioning Attorney General Barr, trying to give him some favorable question, because he's a Republican. And it, I swear it reads, Mr. Just M-R-C-R-A-P-O. I'll spell that last name again. C-R-A-P-O. How would you pronounce that, gentlemen? Mr. Crapo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, there's a Senator Crapo? Oh, cool. Oh, I think it's like Crado is actually how they pronounce hey, it. Maybe somebody just got the placard wrong. It's Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, it's like some Senate staffer or committee staffer is like, we're going to get him this time. Mm-hmm. You're going to laugh at my name. Here you right. go, Crapo. But uh, I am, uh, I'm finding the big gripe today, if we're going to stick with politics, is that somebody leaked this letter. I'm 
flopping around about to tear up. Uh, from Robert Mueller to Attorney General Barr. And this is right after Barr came out with the summary of Robert Mueller's report. And the key line in it, it's not a long letter, and I'm not going to bore you with all the references to the legal codes and you know statutes for the Justice Department. But here's the key line that's made headlines and has the Democrats. Oh, man. I thought there was no way to fit anything else up their backside with all the sticks up their butts. But there's a lot more room in there, apparently. Or at least something splintering. Something splintering. Yeah, I know. They should at least sanded it and put a nice veneer on top. Uh (laughs) Shoved it up there. You know how I feel about sanded stuff, Dad. What? He doesn't like to sand things. Oh, you like to sand? Is it, it's one no. one time I made a desk mm-hmm. and I didn't sand it. And Did you want it to be rustic, or you, you just know, didn't was, want to sand? I it? was in a hurry. Oh, okay. Yeah. And do you like to sand? No, I like smooth things done correctly. Oh, fair. Why are you going to do it oh, like my half? Goodness, I'm getting in the middle of a family <laughs> squabble. And this is for y'all to talk about. But anyway. Anyway, and this is what Democrats are upset about. This is what are in the, it's in the news. And it's this one line from Robert Mueller to Attorney General Barr right after Barr put out his summary. Now, let's remember that the full Mueller report with some redactions because we can't see grand jury material and apparently all our intelligence community stuff, you know, methods and sources, we, we the public can't see that because it's not like intelligence agencies all over the world are pretty hip to what our intelligence agency's doing. No, this is very secret stuff. So there's some stuff that's redacted, and also ongoing trials. So, like, if it's a sealed case, we can't see that. But we can pretty much see the whole thing. It's out. The Mueller report. It's what we've been talking about. Especially Volume 2. The Ten Cases of Potential Obstruction of Justice. But Barr came out with a summary on May, or no, not May, it's May 1st, March the 24th. He came out with that press conference, here's my summary. And this is what Mueller writes the next day, or three days later, excuse me. The summary letter the department sent to Congress and released to the public late in the afternoon of March the 24th, quote, did not fully capture the context nature and substance of this office's work and conclusions. So it, let me say that again, it did not fully capture, so it somewhat captured it? Lies, man. What? I don't think it's necessary. Well, that's what people, one senator accused William Barr of lying, but did not fully capture the context, nature, and substance of this office's work and conclusions. We communicated this concern to the department on the morning of March the 25th, the day after. There is now public confusion about critical aspects of the results of our investigation. Hmm. Well, there's been a lot of confusion for a while, so I don't know if we can completely put this on Attorney General Barr, but I'm sorry, I'm not confused, because I remember reading Barr's summary where he laid out the Mueller report has two parts. There's part one on Russian collusion and potential conspiracy and coordination between the Trump campaign and the Russian efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. And it ended up, the bottom line of that was no conspiracy or coordination between the Trump campaign and the Russian government, let alone any other American. No evidence find that. The Trump campaign might have been like, oh, wait, they got dirt on Hillary? Wait, John Podesta got hacked and it's going to get released? Yeah, that's awesome. They might have been saying stuff like that, but they didn't work with the Russians. And for the the, the prim and proper and the patriots out there, the, those with such integrity to say, how dare somebody find that it was it was a good thing for a foreign adversary to hack a political opponent and have that dirt spilled out for the American people to see. Give me a break. What do you think opposition research is? As long as you don't actively you know, engage in it. And I've said this before, but it, essentially the lesson here, folks, is 
How dare Russia or China or any other foreign adversary disinform and propagandize the American people? That's our job. As people running for office, we're the ones supposed to spread disinformation and propagandize and rile people up. How dare the Russians do our job? Anyway, that was part one of the Mueller report. And I understood this before I got to see the whole Mueller report. William Barr essentially says they didn't find any coordination or conspiracy. The term, the new, I love how the news has done this. The Trump talking point was no collusion. There's no collusion. It's a witch hunt, which Trump did say a lot. But there are a lot of other people, you know, all around the 24-7 news cycle for 365. I wish we still had the human calculator here. What is that, 730 days? I, what? Yeah, something close to that. 24-7, 730 days. Two years, essentially, we've been hearing about collusion. And Trump's maybe a Russian asset unwittingly or wittingly. He's a traitor. And the emoluments clause and blah, 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 blah. But no, it's just a Trump talking point collusion. William Barr says, okay, they didn't find conspiracy or coordination with the Trump campaign. or Any other American, there was no collusion. That leads us to part two of the Mueller report where things really get interesting. Is the potential actions of the President of the United States to obstruct this very important investigation? Because what we do in Washington, D.C. is always very important and on the up and up. And he quotes the key line in his summary. He doesn't lay out all the potential instances of obstruction in his initial letter and press conference. He quotes a key line, which I believe said... The investigation did not find sufficient evidence to charge the president with obstruction, nor did it exonerate him. Which, when I read that, I went, oh, that's going to be juicy. When the whole report comes out, we're going to be arguing over all the evidence that's there, but not quite sufficient to charge or exonerate. What sort of purgatory did you put us in, Robert Mueller? You know, why don't you grow a pair and do your job? If he thought the evidence was sufficient, charge him with obstruction of justice. If he thought that the President of the United States telling the White House counsel, Don McGahn, Don, Mueller's conflicted. He's so conflicted. I mean, he used to be a member of my golf course. And, and, and he put all these angry Democrats on his team. I mean, Weissman, the lady who used to work for the Clinton founder, he's so conflicted. You call Rod. Yes, I mean Rod Rosenstein. And you tell him Mueller has to go. And McGahn said, no, well, no. Uh, the, the president's telling me to do uh, essentially crazy crap. <clears throat> and he threatened to resign. He gets talked out of resigning. The president doesn't follow through with getting rid of Mueller. That's one potential instance of obstruction of justice. But now the argument is, in this letter, coming back to the thing that was released today as bars in front of the Senate, is that Barr's initial summary didn't fully capture the context, nature, and substance of this office's work and conclusions, and it's caused public confusion about critical aspects of the results of our investigation. I'm sorry, no, I don't think it did. I think it was very clear from that one sentence, we don't have enough evidence to charge the president with obstruction of justice, and we don't have enough evidence to exonerate him, is exactly what's going on right now. I understand it perfectly well. And so we're going to sit here and bitch and moan over this. And now this is the latest scandal. So I guess the bottom line is our politicians are full of crap. They see it as their job to rile you up, and I am riled up right now. But it's not because, uh, you know, I, I love Trump so much. And Trump telling the White House counsel, you tell Rod to get rid of Mueller. He's conflicted. And then later telling him, now you don't, t- you, you don't tell the press that I told you to do that. Knowing they're going to tell him. Well, no, but he had, did. Dom again did. But you can tell uh, Mueller. I mean, and he, there's all sorts of instances where Trump is like, can't we do this? And he didn't do it. So that leaves open this whole essentially interpretation. It's like people with freaking prophecies on what's going to happen on Game of Thrones. At least those nerds are having some fun. So I'm confused. Mm-hmm. Mueller was charged with investigating Trump. He was charged with investigating, number one, 
the Russian efforts to interfere in the 2016 campaign right. and potential collusion or coordination and conspiracy would be the legal terms of the Trump campaign with those Russian efforts. So all he all his job was is to find information, right? Find the facts. Something like 500 witnesses, all sorts of subpoenas issued, millions of dollars spent. It took two years. So is it Barr's job to decide whether the information is worth charging the president? That's actually how it reads, is that, the well, it was Barr and he brought in Rod Rosenstein, because Rosenstein's the one who appointed Mueller. So when a special counsel is appointed, they report to the attorney general. In this case, it was the acting attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, because Jeff Sessions, from the great state of Alabama, had recused himself because he was involved with the campaign. So the idea was, once this report's up, it is delivered to the Department of Justice, to the Attorney General, and yes, it is the final say of the Attorney General on whether or not to charge somebody, based on the recommendation. So, how long does Barr, I mean, what is the statute of limitations for Barr to not make a decision on whether it's oh, he made a decision. damning or... I mean, That's what they're so upset about. Okay. On the Well, it's the Russian thing right. and the possible collusion. But then the second part of the Mueller report is potential obstruction of justice. Right. And so on obstruction of justice, Mueller again leaves it open. Not enough evidence to really indict him, but not enough to exonerate him. And, you know, Congress should do something. But he didn't write the report for Congress. He wrote the report by the people who commissioned it, the Department of Justice and the Attorney General's office. So it's handed to the Attorney General, and like pretty much any other prosecutorial recommendation by an investigator, or in this case, Robert Mueller's acting like a U.S. attorney, it is then up to the acting attorney general, in this case, William Barr, working along with Rod Rosenstein, who initially commissioned this investigation, and they said, we looked at the evidence is laid out in the report, and we don't see obstruction. Number one, because it doesn't, there was no underlying crime, there's no collusion, so to speak, as well as going to intent. And that's, that's what's driving me nuts. Robert Mueller put us into this state of purgatory where I can't charge him, but I can't exonerate him. Gotcha. So to prove obstruction, some people think, well, it's just like if you did any action, you said anything bad about Mueller, you did anything, even if it's your constitutional power as president to somewhat obstruct, even if you thought about it and you told your people to stop it and they didn't, that's obstruction of justice. Just because you did it. What Barr is saying is there's a different standard for obstruction. The most often used standard is you have to prove corrupt intent or malignant action. And so we're playing this big game of what was the president's intent when he told, like, Dom again, go get rid of Mueller. Is he doing it because he knows he's guilty of colluding with the Russians, or is he doing it because this is a witch hunt, it's killing my presidency, I'm effed? Which it seems to be, you know, a reasonable case to be made. And but here's the thing: we're not going to get the case made in a in our day. There's not going to be a single day where it's made clear. It is going to be constant kangaroo courts and show trials and people bitching and moaning, using it on the new campaign trail for the president. Essentially, it's this: legally speaking, the president is cleared. He's not literally exonerated, but he is essentially exonerated. Nothing legally is going to happen to President Trump. It is now a political issue. Mm -hmm. So, Democrats, if you want to, impeach him. Then that process will have to go to the Senate and the president would be tried and you'd lose. Because the Republicans control the Senate. It's funny how the truth lines up with party. It's back to my initial point tonight. Is uh, Good luck. If you are running for political office and political power, convincing me that you really know what the objective truth is, or that you'll say it, instead of, you know, fighting for your team. So that's where we are. That was the political news today. But there's other news. There's a story, a study I've been sitting on for a while that I, uh, I want to talk about. Because I've mentioned this topic before. <clears throat> And it's a lot more um, interesting, uplifting, 
I just find it fascinating compared to all the crap going on in D.C. So it is a study out of John Hopkins School of Medicine. Now, before I go into the study, I want to ask y'all, have y'all ever had what you could describe maybe as a, a deep, profound spiritual experience? Like, some people might call it like seeing God or like an enhanced reality or like the ultimate truth. Like, people have these moments. Like, there's one, for instance, a guy named Francis Collins, head of the Human Genome Project. He wrote a brilliant book called The Language of God. The first half of that book is about, well, he essentially, because he, this was his job as a scientist in studying the human genome, here's the case for evolution. Here's why we've essentially shown this is true. And then the second half is, but this is also why I'm a believer. And he had a profound moment. One thing that sort of led him down the road of becoming a Christian is he was hiking and a waterfall had frozen into like three streams that are like frozen and they were converging three into one, the Trinity, all this mm -hmm. stuff. And he said he fell on his knees and began to pray. It was like this moving experience that swept over him. And it sort of led him on the road to really studying his faith and reconciling it with science and reason and what he'd been devoting most of his life to. So there are moments. It could be a waterfall that's frozen, a certain symbol. But I'm, I'm kind of wondering if y'all have had some deep, profound experience like that. You don't have to share it if it's a deep, profound thing and very personal. But I'm wondering if you've had those moments where it's like, oh, yeah, that's how the world is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. You don't want to go into detail about it? Nope. Does it have something to do with twice a day? No. Oh, man. <laughs> yes, actually. You have? Here lately, surprisingly. Really? Yes. Do you want to share? Uh, why not? Okay. <laughs> you seem hesitant, but you don't, you don't have oh, to. I, man, I don't care. You know, I, I love you, Sethy Bear. I, hey, man. Sethy Bear. Oh. Okay. So, we... Uh, uh, Doing that movie, yeah, and getting out there, and I mean, you were—you essentially met a casting call. You became an extra over at that. Yeah, movie. and getting out there and doing that, it just like it, the entertaining. You know, it started as like telling jokes, mm -hmm. and then it turned into this, and then once I got this, I figured it couldn't get any better than this. You know, uh, but then I started doing that, and I was like, "Holy crap, this is amazing!" You know, and it's just the the. The feeling I get because I am an emotional wreck. Yeah, I, my my feelings are crazy. But if I have somebody telling me how to feel, I'm good with that. Okay. So they tell me how to feel, and they're like, "Hey, you're surprised. You're mad. You're." Uh, oh, so you liked acting? Yeah, I felt right. I I loved it, and it it was it was amazing, and I totally didn't see it coming. Hmm. Are you gonna do community theater now? I I will do whatever it takes. Community theater doesn't really pay money's good but if it's not that's cool too I'd rather do this no that's awesome I'm joking around yeah. but that's awesome that it like felt right yeah man felt I thought about you on that he was there dad yeah. was there to experience this or to take I, I think Joey just found what what we need to do for you it's community theater community theater I'll write you a play a one man play hey man I'm all the man you need the, well see that's the thing it's, it's the two days that we were out there he was in heaven, hmm. uh, talking to people, getting around. Seth doesn't ever meet a stranger. And Wednesday after the shoot, he called me, and he was just so sad because he was all alone driving in his van mm -hmm. back to work, creepy, back to back to life, life yeah. yeah, back to loneliness all by my freaking self. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when you're doing it, you may be one on one, but you have all those people around you. And it doesn't bother me. I don't care about the people. See, so like, but you like being engaged with others, but you especially like the idea of becoming whatever persona that was required for the story yes, that's being told. Exactly. I loved it, and I thought about you during that because really? I mean, How? you're you're a soul searching kind of guy, I suppose. You know, and I mean, I like search I, for my soul twice, maybe three times a day, indeed. Hey, twice if you're in Millbrook. Yeah. But, um, so, I mean, it hit me. And you know how I tell you, just let it come, man. It'll come yeah. when it's ready. When it feels right, yeah. Yeah, when, I mean, it just, it'll hit you. And it hit me, you know, and I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. And, it, I mean, 
it's just it surprised me and i i, I loved it and it's uh, man it's just it took my breath away well the reason i ask and we'll get more into this after the break the reason i asked is that they're actually bringing science to bear on these sort of experiences seeing god so to speak or like you feel like you're in the right place at the right time this is what i'm meant to do it could be described in all sorts of different ways enhanced reality or truth it can well create lasting mental benefits And how you get there, how you get to that experience isn't always, well, the most, well, well, it isn't always the most square way of getting there. Sometimes it is. But, uh, well, sometimes it could be, well, sort of like a dirty hippie manner, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Enough to, I'm telling you, essentially, that these, you know, hippie scientists over at Johns Hopkins, you Mm. know, that crap place, they would be making Richard Nixon roll over in his grave. And I say roll over, Richard. Go ahead and roll over, Dick Nixon. (laughs) You deserve it. Because the culture war that you helped uh, prosecute, especially in the 60s and, well, more the 70s, I'm not talking about Watergate. I think the whole culture war over the hippie culture and drugs and all this stuff took what, in my opinion, is a life-changing chemicals and put them in a certain box. And for decades now, we've treated it as verboten, prohibited, the devil's doing. People in polite, correct society don't mess with it. Now, finally, that these crazy hippie doctors over at Johns Hopkins, well, they found some things. And I like that they found these things. But we'll get into what they found after the break. And before we hit that break, though, you know who I need to tell you about? A guy who helps me you know, bring the show to all the people out there listening. A guy who's been helping you, Dad. Oh, yeah. Guy will help you one day. Oh, don't worry. He's there. He's helping them, and he's making sure that Seth has a spot. Right there, you go. <laughs> and of course, we're talking about Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. The guy. I mean, isn't he? He's just such a down to earth guy. One. Yeah. Good. He's great. Good guy. Straightforward. He'll tell you like it is. He's not going to blow smoke up your backside. Not like those people in that Senate committee hearing. Oh God. Um, anyway, I'm doing a live spot, not talking about those <laughs> a-holes in D.C. 322-0662. That is the number for Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. He can help you buy a home for the first time, can walk you through a lot of the things that you might not be like, oh, I know what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't make enough money. This is why I rent. And Well, actually, he can help you make sure you have a good credit score. He can help you out with other sponsors and get you financed. Uh, other sponsors here on this station. He can actually open your eyes to the opportunities and the money-saving opportunities, the investment opportunities for all sorts of incomes. He's not going to say, oh, what's your your uh, you know maximum price range and immediately go find all those homes. No, he's going to give you options, whether it's your first home or it's that retirement home lakeside with a pontoon boat tour. You pull up and you realize before you even step in, this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my days. Or he can help you sell that place if that family's growing or circumstances change. I know we have a lot of military folks in the area. Eddie Bader can help you get that house off the market quickly because he knows the repairs, the renovations, how to pull off a successful open house. He's not just going to hammer a sign in your front yard and then, you know, wait by the phone. No, because he helps people buy and sell, he's connecting buying and sellers. Oh, yeah, he's great. You can text him. Like, I texted him last night, 830. Mm-hmm. I was like, hey, whenever you get a minute, just give me a call. Two seconds later, phone's ringing. Yep. He's on top of it. And that number, again, for Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group, 322-0662. 322-0662. And people say I have the porn voice. <laughs> you do, sir. Listen to that baritone sex coming out of that mouth. Can I say? That's just dirty. Just born with it. That's just dirty. <laughs> anyway, after the break, more about um, God-like experiences. <laughs>
Kelly Clark. Oh, baby. Oh. First things first. Welcome back. We like you to stare. We used to go on stage in our underwear. It's a shame this dude died. Because this is like our, one of the last albums. Now we got the sun. And he was hitting a new leg. They all stare. Second win, third win. Can I help you? Everybody jam because his body's gone. But as promised, it is a new study at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Found those who have had divine encounter experiences, whether the sensation of seeing a godlike figure or profound enhanced reality or truth, reap lasting mental benefits. Many have reported experiencing these deeply religious visions spontaneously, which is very possible. Or, and this is where I have a trouble with Dick Nixon, uh, emphasis on the first name, or under the influence of psychedelic drugs like psilocybin, which is found in magic mushrooms, as the cultures come to know them, or say the Amazonian drink ayahuasca. Some of these experiences were described as encounters with God or with, quote, an ultimate reality, bringing sudden, striking clarity to their lives and existence in general. And interestingly, even if the encounter occurred on a psychedelic trip, researchers say the benefits are still the same. Experiences that people describe as encounters with God or a representative of God have been reported for thousands of years, and they likely form the basis of many of the world's religions says Roland Griffiths, Ph.D., a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. And although modern Western medicine doesn't typically consider, quote-unquote, spiritual religious experiences as one of the tools in the arsenal against sickness, they should, especially based on this study, our findings suggest that these encounters often lead to improvements in mental health. Before I keep going into this, there's a reason, like, people... Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't always work, but the reason it does work is because people undergo a major trial in a spiritual experience where they strip down who they think they are, they find a higher power, and they go through the process. They go through, this, they go through essentially a, a journey, a hero's journey in a way. Step one is admitting you have a problem. Yes. And I think that everybody should go to AA once in their life. At least do a whole program yeah. because it's a very it's a good learning experience. Well, and there's and, things like Al-Anon too. Yeah, which, same you know. deal. They should all do something like that because it's a big learning experience. And I think right. everybody should take a hallucinogenics at least once. Yeah, and not for fun because it will give you a different view of what you look at. I would actually hesitate on suggesting it because uh, until. You can have quality control and assurance. Yeah. I'm sure, for instance, these doctors at Johns Hopkins are not, you know, just buying mushrooms off the street, you know, <laughs> or some ayahuasca from some shaman somewhere. No, I, I think this is a very controlled study. So I would, ha I, I know what you're saying, and I yeah. tend to agree because it, people do have profound experiences, as the study showing that has great um, mental changes. Yeah. That, and one in particular is addiction. Um, and it's not like, oh, you keep dosing your, you know how a lot of prescription medication, you're just on it. Yeah. Well, here's some uh, Xanax or here's some like, what is the one, Vyvanse or Adderall that give you energy, these sorts of things. And it's like, when do I stop taking them? Like, I don't know. Never. Well, and if you do decide to stop, don't just stop cold turkey. You need to be weaned <laughs> off it. Yeah, that sounds more like, you know. Well, what's the old idea? People want doctors to give them absolution, not suggestions on you know health hygiene. Yeah, they want a magic procedure or pill or whatever to fix their problem, rather than the doctor going, "Well, you might want to change your eating habits." You fix might. me, right? Don't stop drinking. You might want to fix help. I can help you, but you're going to have to help yourself some too. Is usually the honest truth, rather than this will magically fix all your issues. But if you essentially have these experiences, it allows you to, and let's just focus on addiction. It could be through AA, and you go through the steps, you go through the process, and you don't even have to be an alcoholic to say, I'll admit it, I have a problem. Yeah. Who doesn't in some way? Yeah. Some problems are worse than others, obviously, but who doesn't, when you look in the mirror, go, oh, I got this problem, and I need to look at, look at it straight in the face, have the power of facing 
the facts of where I could be better in my life. But say also they found with these psychedelic experiences, it's not just that you take, like, say, psilocybin, which is found in magic mushrooms, and you got to take it again and again and again. And you just got so, like, euphoric and high, man. And you saw some cool stuff. Like, I saw shapes. I saw a fractal in the sky. The river birch moved, and, and the, the fire at our campsite started beating like a human heart. Or maybe I it was all music. Or maybe it was a horse heart. I don't know. Um, no, nothing like that. But what they find is if you do, say, take psilocybin and you, ha- you see God or enhanced reality, you find a sense of purpose or place in the world, then people are stopping like that whether it's smoking cigarettes or other sorts of addictions. Mm-hmm. And it, so it's not the drug that causes the addiction to stop. It's the drug plus the religious transcendent experience. It's amazing. So Dr. Griffiths and his team over at Johns Hopkins used data from I'm at 4,200 people, almost 4,300, around the world who completed one of two 50-minute online surveys about God encounter experiences. These surveys had participants recall their most memorable encounter experience with either the God of their understanding or a higher power, like you might hear in AA, ultimate reality or an aspect uh, or representative of God, such as an angel. The surveys also asked the respondents to describe how the experience changed their lives. Of the nearly 3,500 participants who saw their visions while under the influence of a psychedelic, about 1,184 took psilocybin mushrooms, another 1,200 took LSD, and 435 took ayahuasca, 606 took DMT. I guess they've been listening to Joe Rogan. Another naturally naturally occurring substance found in certain plants and animals. DMT really is naturally produced by human beings on biology. It's just a more potent form of it. Participants were about 25 years old on average if the experience occurred while under the influence, compared to 35-year-olds if it was a spontaneous experience unaided by any sort of uh, psychedelic. Researchers found several interesting conclusions. Among them, 75% of people who had encountered had an encounter say it was among the most meaningful and spiritually significant moments in their lives, so much so that it brought about permanent positive changes in their life satisfaction, purpose, and meaning. In fact, the experience was so powerful that about two-thirds of self-identified atheists shed that label after their encounter. So, if you're out there and you're a deeply faithful person, you're worried about the rise of secularism, or atheism in particular in society, maybe suggest taking, you know, mushrooms. Uh, Anyway, no, that's a joke, folks. The experience also caused 70% of those who use psychedelics to report a decreased fear of death. Not a death wish, but say somebody's terminally ill, or they've seen a loved one died. Yeah, or going, I'm about to die. Again, the 70% of those who use psychedelics to report, they reported a decreased fear of death compared to 57% of those in the spontaneous segment. The non-drug group was also more likely to say they saw, quote-unquote, God or an emissary, a God like an angel, in their encounter. Whereas those in the psychedelic group were most likely, 55%, to refer to it as the ultimate reality, quote-unquote. All that said, the authors emphasize they do not suggest, to the point you made earlier, Seth, they do not suggest people turn to psychedelic drug use and attempt to have a divine experience. They also note their study is also not intended to answer the question of whether there is, in fact, a God. We want to be clear, they say, quote, that our study looks at personal experiences, psychological states, and says nothing about the existence or non-existence of God. We doubt that any science can definitively settle this point either way. I tend to think they're right. It's a matter of belief. And faith is a virtue for a reason. But I just found this very interesting because I hate, and this is what politics does. It poisons everything for the most part. It pits people against one another because they're different for whatever reason. And those reasons usually are also psychological. People have different temperaments. Sometimes an experience can knock them out of that state, but Generally, the idea that we put, say, mushrooms and LSD and all this stuff in a certain box that was this counterculture, bad part, and then it became this party drug sort of thing. And that box is full of heroin oh, and marijuana right. and coke and... One well, MDMA, yeah, which, no. but there are studies being done that are helping people process trauma. 
uh, because with but again these are all in controlled environments where the quality of whatever is being consumed is very clear and it is it's a, being treated like medicine and it's not and but what's amazing is you don't have to keep taking it like so much of these maintenance drugs that get prescribed it's one time maybe two times if you don't have the experience the first time and there are incredible results so I, I just love this study I hope it gets studied more um, and we're, I think this is the right way to go about whatever sort of drug or chemical that we put in our bodies. It shouldn't be a matter of, oh, that's a cultural symbol and you're not part of the correct and polite and upstanding culture. We might have missed out on decades of life-changing and betterment for all sorts of people dealing with all sorts of issues by putting those drugs in that box. And we need to stop it, especially stop letting the politicians who don't know their ass from a hole in the ground to define all these rules, even with good intentions. All that said, we were talking about something off air. Shifting gears here. You know, there's been this big joke about twice a day, Millbrook, and I mean, what is marriage about? It is about giving and taking. It is about two becoming one. It is about... uh, Man, I didn't intend that to sound that way. But it is it is about building a life in all seriousness. It's about building a life and based on a good commitment. Um, and I've seen firsthand, even with marriages that weren't always great, when it in sickness, it's a very serious type of love. It's a cold and broken hallelujah, and marriage solidifies that bond. But it's also, I mean, at the end of the day, if you can't have sex with your wife, what's the point? Um, so, so twice a day, Millbrook, here, here, Dad. And he's got the clapper. <laughs> oh, shut up. And a noisy headboard. Shut up. Uh, like a disco. But you got into this. Uh, we got into this off air, and I would love for you to repeat what you said. Uh, Eric, in, about the, what the comedian said about certain types of men and how they approach women. Okay, I, I don't. I wish I could quote them exactly. The idea and is it, a good one, but, though. But there's like either two or three type of men uh, that approach women. Uh, one doesn't. One. It's generally my approach. <laughs> one does rarely. Or tries to wait for the exact perfect moment, and one does all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, I, I am the one that I, I would wait for the, the exact perfect moment. Uh, I am the one who used to be like that, wait for the right moment, and that it just never came. Right. So I'm now the one who just doesn't do it. Yeah. And we have a third instance here in the studio, right? Apparently, I'm the one that does it all the time. You dirty dog. You with that husky voice of yours. I, I, it's just the way I come off. I call it being friendly. Some people call it being slutty. It's, it sounds bad. It does. But this does not involve getting naked or anything like this. Knowing my son, it's, it's his desire to not be alone. Mm. And it's not it's not to he doesn't desire to be with one woman tonight and a different woman tomorrow it's night. It's not notches on his it's, headboard no, or anything. Yeah. He just he wants to find his other half. Mm. And he's got the personality to talk to every woman he finds attractive. I mean, every single person. That's something that I could never do. No, I'm not a shotgun approach guy. I can talk to anybody. I, I'm, I don't have a good anything. spread. I don't have a good spread. I, I'm more like sniper. No, actually, my new approach, and I almost told you the guy this off air, and I said, <laughs> let's save it. This is Joey's approach to women. And it doesn't work often, but when it works. Hang out with Seth. No. <laughs> no, 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 that never works. You haven't. <laughs> well, we've only done that a few times, but Once. it hasn't worked yet. Once. Yeah. Eeyore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it looks like rain, man. I'd rather stay inside, away from all the the hazards of life. <laughs> Go ahead and or hit just, a pothole or two. It's cool. I'd rather curl up in the fetal position. Anyway, no, I do have an approach, and it, when it works. It works, but mm-hmm. it doesn't often. But 
It's happened in my life a few times. When I just, I finally let down my hair, literally and figuratively, I take off the mask and I'm just myself. And when a woman says, Joey, you're an ass, not an a-hole, not a, not a jerk, but you're, you're a fool, you're an ass. And they say it to me, I'm like, I, I love you. I got it. <laughs> I got you. Yes, I am an ass. <laughs> Let it be known. <laughs> so you're falling for it. I'm getting under your skin. All right. The way I go about it yeah. is I'm just me mm-hmm. all the time. And I used to try not to be me and kind of sugarcoat it a little bit. No more. I am me 110%. And that is my failsafe. That is, I am me, and if you can't take me, then that's a good way of weeding through the 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 the, bo- the weeds and getting to the flowers. Weeding through the weeds. Weeding through the weeds and get to the flowers. Mm-hmm. And there are <laughs> no flowers. Sometimes, in my though, and I, there are flaws to my approach. Mm-hmm. There are flaws to waiting for the right moment, but it, it's worked out for you. So yeah, good. yeah. I no longer do that. So. Right. So that worked pretty awesome for you. <laughs> good for you, sir. Yeah. Good way to go, you. Dad. But as far as the two single people in here, your approach is, you know, shotgun. I mean, but you're not doing it to sleep around. You're not some promiscuous playa. Right. You are just, you, you like looking for, you know, friendship. Yeah. And attention. And I think it's also proven, we're on the science theme tonight, that when men are in front of, like, a really good looking woman, like, say you're a teenage boy and Scarlett Johansson walks into the room. You'll become very nervous. You will. But you also have... It's like you you took a hit of some drug. You also like get this dopamine hit that's oh. like, oh, like you get happy and energetic. And yep. it's so much is why you get nervous. So I, I that happens to me a lot. And I can understand why you would search for that. Mm-hmm. But here's the difference. Here's the flaw in my approach and potentially the flaw in your approach. In my approach... I'd never put myself out there, mm-hmm. as opposed to until some genius woman says, "Joey, you're an ass and a catch." I just oh. see, but I don't try. So yeah. because I don't try, nothing really happens. I mean, if you don't ever venture, it, you know, right. you're not going to get any return. Yeah. But if you're constantly out there venturing, do you feel like you, when sifting through the weeds, you might have uh, cut a flower out of your life? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, say when a say when a flaw presents itself in a little controversy. Uh huh. Say there's like a little bit of like a rot on that rose. Because who doesn't have some rot? Who doesn't have a problem? Back to the theme we said earlier. Depends on where it is. Mm. You know, depends on what it is. There are certain things that I cannot, uh, I can't get past. Right. You know, because you're you, but that's your standard. I I am who I am, and I know what I like because Mm. I'm old and it's taken me this long to figure it out. And I know what I like, and I think that's my one of my biggest problems. Hmm. And I'm. Do you, but do you think your standards, which are, it's fine to have standards, I think it's right to have standards, but do you think your standards allow for you to find somebody? No. Oh no! See, that's that's the problem. Well, and I'm, I admit my approach definitely has problems. I don't put myself out there. Yeah. Like I accept that people are you know, all sorts of different types of weird and flawed, and some of them might be out there that that weird and flawed, and terrible that works for me and fits with my weird, flawed, and terrible. But I just it seems like a lot of work. <laughs> like that's it's generally a, what I say to myself. It seems like a lot of work and money and. Ugh. A lot of work, a lot of lonely, you know, and uh, I don't get lonely like you. I, I like my alone time. Man, I I hate myself. Oh, so no, when no, I'm, no, uh, no. you know, I'm around me all the time. If I mean, you know, you, if you think I'm annoying for like 15 minutes, you should like be me all the time. Mm-hmm. You should hear the crap I call and tell him. I'm like, dude, does he call you and tell you crap? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, I it's you want to hear something funny? Yeah, three or four that phone could calls be a day. Mm. It could be I flipped my van. It could be I just made a joke. Mm. It could, Hopefully it's more I just made a joke. Who knows? But I did flip the van and that, call him. That one time he did flip a van. So <laughs> he did, yeah. And said, hey, I remember, remember something funny. Day. I remember that day. He said, that's not funny. <laughs> I mean, that's more like, are you okay? Is the initial response. Like, yeah, I'm a little shaken, but I'm fine. Oh, yeah. 
I remember that day when yeah. you flipped a van. Oh, I'll never That's what you get it. for driving that old weird, rickety, pervert van down Troy Highway that fast. Oh, it was it was God, <laughs> man. It was God and that two inches of water. Uh, you did get lucky there. Yeah. Well, Mom has said that if I stop looking and I quit doing that, it'll just come to me. That's I'm, that's what I'm suggesting. Maybe I should look a little more. And I should look a little less. Yes. And what I've done is I have um, discussed this with my therapy at the gas station. Because mm-hmm. my therapist works at the gas station. And uh, she was like, I don't think you can do it, but go for it. And I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. So It's like we complete each other. It's too bad we're not gay. Uh, man. Yeah. Like, we can be good friends, yeah. but not as dumb. I'm not. That, that's why we can hang. Right. Because I'm a loud guy. I cannot be with another loud person. I have to be with a quiet person. That's why I'm in a room with you two. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Because exactly. otherwise I get overpowered. Yep. It's, it's, it's kind of... I, I wish you could have heard the rant that Emily was going on when we were discussing all this at the house the other night. It was mm-hmm. wonderful. And she, she finally let, let go... Of her inhibitions and spoke freely. Did Maker's Mark have something to do with it? No, no, no. She's just fed up with his crap. Yeah, she she just it, <laughs> with a smile. It was one of those things. She had thoughts that she did not share, hmm. and finally just decided it was time. They boiled and, over. Yeah. Right. I'm so glad she did. And because when she says stuff, it's usually good. It it really hit home for him, but. It since then, I get more phone calls during the day of, hey man, I, I didn't talk to these three girls that I passed. And then it's, it, I realize now how much worse the problem is. Dad, you shouldn't even think about that. Like, I didn't talk to these three women. Well, I was so. You should just go about your day. Monday no, was seven. I, I think your mom has a point in the sense that if you just work on you and your the things you have, like keep pursuing that th- the things you find meaningful, you'll find the right person. It'll come to me just like everything else has. Yeah. And she told me that. And uh, some things are not from my understanding for me to understand, but I trust other people. I mean, I trust who I hang out with because I love you guys. You got, you know, y'all my family. Well, you know? the first step is what? Admittance. Admitting you have a problem. We didn't even need mushrooms to do it tonight. I know, gentlemen. man. Well, I appreciate y'all being here. Thank you. Thank you. And talk about it. This dude. This dude didn't even have to, like... Come out with pants on. Try. You've heard the Jamie Foxx joke about him, right? Don't look him in the eyes. <laughs> even if you're a straight man, don't look this dude in the eyes. <laughs> That's me. Nobody got a chance to read your backup. Let me show you how to dance. Joey Clark.